Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com. That's Alienware.com slash deals. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deccant. You are you. Thanks for tuning in. Should I say bonjour? This is stuff they don't want you to know. We get so many suggestions via email, via tweets, via strangers talking to us in the streets. And this this episode is based on a very old suggestion that came in 2010, maybe? Oh, way back in yeah. 2010. The good old days. Things were so simple then. <laughs> right. Little did we know what 2018 would bring. And uh, it's appropriate that we're looking into the past and into the future and remarking on the passage of history because today's episode concerns uh, one of the most important historical locations in France. Today, we are asking why people believe the Palace of Versailles is haunted. And if you don't know what the Palace of Versailles is, it is the, or it was, the seat of royal power in France for many, many years. But it didn't just start off that way. No, no, it started off actually in a very difficult way. Uh, in 1575, there was a fellow named Albert de Gondi, uh, G-O-N-D-I, who was a member of the court of Henry II. He purchased the seigniory or the, the lordship over this village called Versailles. Sorry, purchased? Yeah, he yeah. just bought it. He bought the town. He oh. got the seigniory. The seigniory. Mm-hmm. That's, okay. that's Italian. That's, that's fine, Italian. though. It's it doesn't matter. Bad. Okay. It's early. All right. Actually, it's 11. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of early for us. We're night owls. That's true. Uh, Yeah, and you are correct. He uh, did have an Italian background, which at that time came with some stereotypes. Yes, it did. That's right. Yeah, the the French looked down on the Italians as being sort of shifty, uh, not layabouts, but more manipulative, kind of Machiavellian uh, creepers, I guess, right? Yeah, schemers. That was the stereotype they were laboring under. But de Gandhi had done quite well and was uh, well-regarded in the court. He also clearly had some juice, 
he had some scratch, he had some some cash. So he, yes, he purchased the lordship over this town about 15 miles southwestish of Paris. The population was in a very bad way. They were in a tailspin. Uh, they had been damaged by the Hundred Years' Wars and the plagues. And all in all, this, uh, the, this series of tragedies for the village of Versailles means it's a great buy for Albert de Gandhi. Oh, absolutely. Sort of like the banks swooping in after the housing collapse or whatever and like, you know, just buying up underwater properties and stuff, you know. Quite similar. Very gross. But, yeah. you know, it's a good business move. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, kingships change over time as they do. As the uh, the old man dies, somebody new comes in and it's usually blood related, almost always blood related. Uh, so in the early 1600s, Gandhi invited the new king, Louis the Thirteenth, to Versailles uh, on hunting trips because you know you've got this beautiful area, this land that you've purchased. You invite the king down to do a little hunting. Hey, you're always in court. Why don't you come out to my place? We can uh, you can run down some peasants, uh, some boars, maybe, and we can. Yeah, I'm thinking fox. That's what I'm picturing. You mm-hmm. know, with their pack of hounds chasing down the the sly little fox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's all kinds of wildlife there. It was it was largely just untouched land. That's true. And yeah. these are going to be hunting parties. Yeah. This means it's not just these two fellows on horseback uh, with, with some dogs or with some bows and arrows. Uh, they have a bunch of people who are doing the actual work. Yeah. Well, they kind of watch. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Who's to say? Actually, there are probably historians that will say exactly how much Louis Thirteenth got down with the hunting. Uh, but either way, he loved doing it. Yeah, he loved the place so much that in 1623, he had a hunting lodge built nearby. And for him, this was a modest uh, a modest structure. Yeah, it was built out of bricks and, you know, wood, stuff that the common man would use. But that's all they needed. They just needed a place to take shelter so they could stay the night there or whatever and then yeah. go hunting the next day. So then eight years later, Louis obtained uh, the seniori of Versailles uh, from the Gandhi family and began to make enlargements to this hunting chateau. Um, he continued to expand the structure uh, until his death in 1643, at which time the real big player in this story comes along. His son, Louis Fourteenth, a.k.a. the Sun King, came along, and he was a huge fan of the location as well. Yes, the Sun King, the one that your history books rightly associate with the practice called absolute monarchy. Yes, he loved centralized government. He was all about it. And he thought the king is the center. Everything else moves out from there. Right. Hence, the Sun King, right, as as Noel has pointed out. And it's true. He expanded Versailles at a, at a massive rate. And this is where it moved from uh, a pretentious royal chateau to a palace. In fact, by some measures, the largest palace in the world. And there's a side note here that I want to put in just for all of you listening who have an interest in the bizarre nature of royal day-to-day life. While we were researching this episode, I found something that has nothing to do with whether or not Versailles is haunted. It is the ceremony that the king had, his rising and sleeping ceremony. Yes. It is bizarre and so over the top. Yeah, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, look up uh, Marie Antoinette, the waking ceremony. It is one of the strangest things. People would pay to talk to these folks as they were waking up and to like put their clothes on for yeah. them. Yeah, sure. to dress them. <laughs> and then they would pay to do the same thing as they were going to sleep. And the the one thing, at least in Louis's case, that keeps popping up is the the fact that they're the actual place where they slept amid these ostentatious, opulent chambers, the actual place was separated from the rest of the room by this tiny decorative balustrade. And they kept using the phrase decorative balustrade. Yeah. And I looked it up. It's just cartoonish. What is a balustrade? It's, it looks like a banister. That's okay. That's what I was yeah. kind of picturing. Yeah. Got it. It's, a, it's just a, a gilded banister. Fancy banister. It's a fancy. That's what they should call mm-hmm. it. Uh, I think we should write to the editors 
and ask them to change that. I agree. To a fancy band. <laughs> yes. So S- it, Speaking it, of fancy, though, Louis was himself quite fancy, right? He, he was responsible for a lot of the uh, trends in clothing and uh, coiffery that kind of permeated out of France and into the rest of Europe, right? Yeah, yeah. He was a trendsetter. Uh, he was also uh, – he was also – Easily angered and angering him was bad. Uh, but without going too far into Louis, we can say that his – call it his ego, call it his philosophy of what a government should be symbolically. Whatever the motivation, it resulted in this gigantic, monstrous compound. And this place is huge. We have stats about the palace itself. It has – 700 rooms yeah. th- that are spread over uh, more than 700,000 square feet. Yeah, it, it's stinking giant. And that's just the palace itself. If you look at the surrounding area of the palace that is considered Versailles still or the Palace of Versailles grounds, um, you're covering over 2,000 acres. And that's <laughs> about 87, almost 88 million square feet. Uh, good golly. Mm. Yeah. Um, and this also includes 230 acres of gardens. Again, massive. And uh, inside these gardens, you'll find 210,000 flowers and 200,000 trees that are annually planted there. Mm-hmm. Those numbers are astounding. And they were very into fountains. It must have been a different time, you know, the yeah. era of construction because gardens must have been – I'm going to say more popular overall than they are today, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, also, the the fountains themselves are a work of art. This makes the Palace of Versailles officially the world's largest royal domain in terms of sheer area. And it also has a lot of notable features. Yeah, uh, I think we're all big fans of the Hall of Mirrors, which has 17 giant mirrored arches opposite 17 windows. Um each one uh, of the arches contains 21 mirrors, which makes a massive 357 total. Um, and so the hall is 239.5 feet long, 34.4 feet wide, and 40.4 feet high. Uh, so, yes, yeah, it's a cavern. Yeah. Jeez. It's a cavern that you walk down that has light coming in the, on this on to your right. Let's say you're walking this way to your right, and then on the left you've got the mirrors reflecting the light and these chandeliers, these opulent, insane chandeliers. And above the chandeliers are these paintings on the ceiling. It's just, I, I mean, it's incredible. But it's also one of those things like, how much money can we spend? Yeah. And then you know why? Mm-hmm. Weren't, weren't peasants starving in the streets? Yes. Yeah. And on special occasions, while the same peasants were starving, they would light around 20,000 candles at night to uh, have the the same sort of phenomenon occur. Mm-hmm. It seems like one of those things is difficult to imagine until you actually visit. Right? Yes. It kind of makes me think of that movie, The Florida Project. Have you guys seen this yet? It only in that like, it's about these very poor areas around Disney World and these really kind of like shoddy hotels where families rent them by the week because otherwise they wouldn't be able to pass a credit check. Mm-hmm. And But they're all like things like the magical castle and like future land. But they're all just completely kind of poor facsimiles of Disney stuff. And then, you know, every night Disney World shoots off this insane ostentatious fireworks display mm-hmm. and it becomes this thing you're just kind of living in the shadow of. And you sort of like take it for granted. It's like, well, we're never going to get to go there, but here it is. And you just sort of almost like forget about it. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. people that like, here's this thing that's just we're living in its shadow, but we're never going to understand that kind of wealth or opulence. And it's – is it depressing? Is it a constant reminder or do you just kind of get used to it and just go on with your life? I don't know. Yeah. It's stark inequality and very close association. Well, and it means that rumor – would spread a lot because imagine all those people that live near it that can never go there. Mm -hmm. And you can only imagine what the royal family does up there Mm -hmm. in the dark. Spoiler alert, weird stuff. Yeah. Are they hunting animals Mm. or are they hunting men? The greatest game. Right, right. Uh, Who was that ice tea, ice cube? (laughs) One of the the, the teas. One of the ices. I think it was tea. It was tea. tea. Ice tea. And we won't explain that reference if you don't get it 
you're going to have a great time this weekend Googling this. Uh, over the years, Versailles has also been home to not one, not two, not three, but five chapels. And they have a royal opera house yeah. in there. It's just an opera house. It's made out of wood. I think they actually still host some fully produced opera performances there. And you can obviously buy tickets to tour the Palace of Versailles and uh, the opera house is included as part of that. And let's return to the history here. Sure. Let's jump forward almost a century to 1758. This is when the next King Louis, the 15th, he had another chateau constructed inside the gardens themselves. Remember that 230 acres? He called it the Petite Trianon. And it kind of mirrored the larger Trianon that existed in the palace itself already. And it it was just meant to be another royal residence on the grounds. It was supposed to be able to house the king if the king was in town, as well as the king's uh, entourage. So enough enough rooms to house a small group of people. Mm-hmm. Then when this king, Louis XV, died of the pox in 1774, the crown was passed down to yet another Louis, this time the 16th and Marie Antoinette. And did she later enter into possession of this petite Trianon? Yes, uh, it was given to her by the king, and uh, she really took it as her own. She made all kinds of additions and alterations to the surrounding structure and to the Petite Trianon itself, Mm -hmm. uh, and she spent a ton of her time there, like inside the Petite Trianon. Balustrades galore, right? Yes, all over the place. And then, of course, we must mention that the Palace of Versailles itself had a close brush with death uh, due to the French Revolution. In 1789, the revolution forced uh, Louis XVI to leave Versailles for Paris. Do those revolutionaries have no appreciation for fine things? What's wrong with them? (laughs) Come on. The French Revolution is this startling chapter in history that I I think more people should know more about. One, One of my favorite parts of it It's a weird sentence to say, one of my favorite parts of the French Revolution. But one of my favorite parts uh, was the effort to remake the calendar, to create a different calendar entirely. Absolutely. There's so many nuances to the whole thing that you don't get in the broad strokes kind of high school education version of it all, right? Or in Les Miserables. (laughs) Right, Mm -hmm. right, right. The palace would never again be home to... French royalty. And in the 19th century, 1837 specifically, it became the Museum of the History of France. Today, it's one of the most visited sites in the country, uh, up there with, you know, approximately the the other one, the Eiffel Tower, Mm -hmm. right? And in the centuries between its construction and the modern day, it's been host to numerous storied visitors and uh, residents. Some, rumor has it, never left. Ooh. So, is it about to get crazy? Yes, right after this quick break. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. 
Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is kid-safe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Here's where it gets crazy. In the past, as well as in the modern age, multiple visitors have reported otherworldly or, to their mind, inexplicable phenomena at the palace. Uh, they've alleged, to put a fine point on it, mm-hmm. that they've seen ghosts. Yeah, specifically King Louis the Sixteenth, the Fourteenth, and the Thirteenth. All of these <laughs> these kings have been seen roaming the halls of the palace itself, or in a hunting party that never ends. The Great Hunt. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and we clearly just established earlier in the show that we think they were recreationally hunting people. Hey, hey, we never said that. Yeah, it was just, you know. We hinted at it. Just throwing out ideas here. <laughs> Dennis Reynolds would say it was the implication. That's correct. There are other ghosts that are rumored to haunt the grounds. Marie Antoinette, of course, and then there are ghosts of visitors, uh, such as... Benjamin Franklin, whom, friends and neighbors, you may recall from an earlier episode. Yeah, he he liked to hang around there. Yes, Benjamin Franklin, probably not a serial killer. Probably not, but definitely a philandering Francophile. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, There's no proof of these ghosts, of course, but from a tourism perspective, a good ghost story is great for business, and these are just... Oddly enough, and the kings would be very insulted to hear this, they're just the also-rans in the stories of hauntings at Versailles. When most people mention ghost or paranormal activity in Versailles, they're thinking of a singular strange afternoon that occurred around 117 years ago this August. Was it a, a wrinkle in time, a fold in death? It starts with two teachers who traveled there from England on August 10th, 1901. These two academics were Anne Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain, and uh, these were the the principal and vice principal of St. Hugh's College in Oxford, uh, and they were in France on vacation, and they wanted to go visit Versailles, as you do, because most people, when you're in their France, go to Versailles if you can. And after touring the palace, they went on search um, in the nearby gardens of the Petit Trianon, remember, the mm-hmm. one with Marie Antoinette? Well, they noticed that things seemed a bit off somehow, the further that they traveled, that they kept going, and things are feeling strange. And again, this is a huge area, right? Mm -hmm. They pass a deserted farmhouse. They notice an old plow lying by the side of the road, and they both claim they began to feel strange, as if some sort of emotional oppression was occurring. Mm -hmm. They got a bad vibe. This is something we hear with ghost encounters or stories of ghost encounters uh, throughout the centuries, that there's an overwhelming feeling of dread that occurs before you see or hear anything. And they started to see other people. They saw, according to their reports, they saw two men dressed in long grayish green coats with small three-cornered hats passing by. And they asked the men the way to the Petit Trianon, and they were pointed toward a path that was directly in front of them, They walked on, they came to a gazebo shaded by trees. 
The dark mood hung even heavier over them here um, in this shady grove. Uh, everything was very, very still. And um, all of a sudden, a uh, repulsive, foul-looking gentleman, uh, his face pitted with smallpox, was standing by the gazebo. And he stared direly, unpleasantly at the onlookers. And just then, someone came rushing up behind them and warned them that they were going the wrong way. They were told to cross a small bridge. And when they did, they arrived at what they assumed to be the Petit Trianon, where they found a woman sitting on a stool, sketching. Yeah, they said that she wore an old-fashioned dress. She was covered with a pale green scarf. And all of a sudden, that gloom came back over them, that intense, sad, disturbing feeling. Suddenly, a footman came rushing out of a nearby building, slamming the door behind himself. The footman told them that the entrance to the Petit Trianon was on the other side of the building. And so they walked around the house where they found a wedding party waiting to tour the rooms. And at that point, they're encountering other human beings that they can confirm are human beings. Phew. And the dark mood lifts and nothing else unusual happens to them. In fact, they didn't talk about it for a long time. Later, so the story goes, they realized the people they'd encountered were dressed in garb from approximately 1789. They also found that some of the buildings they had passed existed in 1789, but not in the present day. Again, that's 1901. So from what they believed and what later came to be known as the Moberly-Jordain incident, they somehow, they thought, had traveled 112 years into the past or seen things that happened 112 years ago only to be rescued by the tour guide who was leading that wedding party in 1901. I want to see a dramatization of this. Yeah. Uh, Like, you know, a reenactment. This is a cool scenario. Yeah, you know, they were just experiencing the flat circle, you guys. I think that's what happened. Quite possibly, right? Well, we'll see. Within months of their encounter, again, August 10th, 1901, they had published uh, an account of this in a book called An Adventure. It's very important to note they used pseudonyms. They did not use their real names. Their experience became known as the Versailles time slip, which sounds cool, Mm -hmm. the ghost of Trianon, or of course the Moberly-Jordain incident. Uh, There are alarms going off in my head about this already. Just because of the garb, what went down at the Palace of Versailles, the the smallpox epidemics that were, you know, ravaging France around the time that they allegedly went back to I feel like there are signs pointing to maybe an explanation that would be less otherworldly. Yeah. So what happened? Nowadays, there are several popular theories. We'll go ahead and say the the first two that everyone thinks of. Did these people travel in time? Or did they have what would be a retrocognitive experience, the opposite of precognition, right? Or did they just happen to see a bunch of ghosts? And if so, there's an interesting debate there. What would the difference be? What's the difference between them traveling in time and them seeing a bunch of ghosts? Well, it's certainly hard to explain away given that they had a shared experience, whatever might have happened. So that's, you know, that's Mm -hmm. how I see it. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. There are the popular mundane theories as well. Right, But the the primary thing is, yeah, a shared experience. It wasn't one person saying, who's that dude with the weird hat? What's wrong with that guy's face? Yeah, because even if they were both like tripping their butts off on some sort of psychedelic, they're not going to see the same thing. Mm-hmm. They might just, you know, have a weird freak out at Versailles, but they're not going to see the same dude in the green coat and the, the woman sketching with the, you know, the veil or whatever, the, the green scarf. Right. Well, but what if they did have some wine and they were walking the grounds and then they came across something that was real that they both saw that maybe they just didn't know was happening mm. or understand? Uh, Perhaps yes. a historical reenactment of some kind? <laughs> yes, yeah, that's exactly. what I'm thinking. That's one of the theories. One is that the teachers accidentally crashed an historical reenactment. 
Yes, a woman named Joan Evans, who is Jourdain's literary executor. She wrote in a 1976 article for Encounter magazine in which she argued uh, that the two women had simply walked unknowingly into this historical reenactment where, you know, there are people dressed in seventeen late 1700s garb and uh, even with perhaps face paint of smallpox and they're all just – you know, going around in the period attire because they're waiting for the performance. It's like backstage. Dude, that's like Disney rules, man. You never let them see you with your head off. You know, you, <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you, you always, you don't, unless you're on and like in the game, you don't let people walk up on you just doing your thing. Well, that's the thing. They were, they were, they were just wandering about through the gardens and yeah. trying to find the Petite Trianon and perhaps mm-hmm. all these other people are just getting ready. And you think maybe they were drunk too. I don't know. I'm just saying if you're a little bit tipsy and you see something like that and you're in – you're feeling that gloom or whatever it was that they're feeling, perhaps everything became a little more sinister or strange than it truly was. Well, OK. OK. Just saying. OK. But here's the thing. Evans is seeking a way to defend this explanation, mm-hmm. right, without attacking – the protagonist or the the people who believe this happened, she researched reenactments, but she didn't find any events that would have been happening in 1901. So if that is the explanation, then it was some sort of underground historical reenactment, which I guess people do. I would love to accidentally walk into one with you guys, uh, but they're not – they're not that common, right? Yeah. Well, here, here's my theory. Part of the wedding that was going on was the reenactment. The reenactment and the wedding were tied together. Ooh. The one that they crashed from yeah. earlier because it was just around the corner to enter the Petite Non. I think it was all part of one just opulent wedding party. There's another theory. Did, did you hear this one? This also comes from Evans. Uh, she based it on a 1965 biography of a French artist named Robert de Montesquieu. The biography by an author named Philippe Julian noted that this artist had lived in a house in Versailles and was noted for his performances that were called tableaux vivants, in which gay Parisian men performed the roles of both men and women, kind of in a Shakespeare style. Mm -hmm. And Evans says that maybe Moberly and Jourdain were encountering some performance like this. We should also add, after they were speaking to each other about this incident, they both became convinced that the woman they saw sketching outside the Petit Trianon was Mary Antoinette, either alive 112 years ago or dead and ghost sketching, which is, you know, obviously their version of ghost riding the whip. (laughs) Ghost sketching the horse. Right, exactly. That's good. There's a, there's a problem, though. There's no evidence indicating this artist would have thrown an event in 1901. And ever since her article, this theory had been reported and re-reported as one of the most likely explanations for the Versailles time slip. But again, no hard proof. Yeah. And I wonder – it does make sense that a an historical reenactment of that sort would be written down somewhere in some record – because there's a budget associated with it. And anytime there's money associated, it probably got written down. Unless it was like a black market recreation. It's like a black bag operation. Yeah. The government of France. Or maybe it's just in, you know, the father of the bride's records somewhere that he paid for it. You're really pushing this wedding party. <laughs> so there's, there's, another, there's another aspect here, and it goes back to a point we had established earlier, it's that they experienced this together. They had a shared, call it a delusion if you will, but they had this shared experience. Where does that lead us? We'll find out after a word from our sponsor. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. 
Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we're back. So another potential explanation for this phenomenon is that these teachers shared a delusion, which is kind of the the, the, the sticking point for me. If it wasn't a, a, an incident of drunkenly stumbling into a, a historical reenactment, there's definitely a shared delusion going on here uh, if it's not you know, actually physically seeing ghosts. Uh, and this is cool. This is something that's called a folie à deux or madness of two. Uh, and you've probably heard this term before um, connected with stories of identical twins who for some reason go insane at the same time, um, such as Ursula and Sabina Erickson. I argue that they didn't go mad. I still think they're like secret spies or something. Well, this this is interesting. You, you often will hear about the madness of two, or it could be a folie de trois. You hear about this in terms of twins. One twin goes crazy. There's there are a couple of cases in the United Kingdom that involve this sort of uh, this sort of emotional contagion spreading. And when we hear descriptions of someone saying, oh, we both felt a palpable mood, Mm -hmm. we have to remember that the majority of our in-person communication is nonverbal. So if someone is indicating that they're feeling a mood and you are sympathetic with them or close with them, they're a friend, a colleague, a, a neighbor, a family member, then you will unconsciously pick up on those cues and if you like them, will unconsciously start practicing something called mirroring, which is when you subtly mimic the the sales folks are doing this to you all the time before and after you listen to this show, where they'll subtly mimic maybe the placement of your arms or the placement of your legs or or start nodding when they ask a question. This stuff, all this this whole quiver full of strange nonverbal arrows, uh, they can affect people whether or not they're twins. And in this case, 
I would I would agree that there's some sand to it, although it does sound weird because usually if we think about a shared delusion, we imagine, you know, kids one-upping each other, backing each other up when they're telling crazy stories. And they all know on some level it's not true, but they want to participate. So how could two people really believe this? The problem with this theory, which seems really solid in my opinion, is that it comes from kind of a screwed up place. The scuttlebutt about Moberly and Jourdain was that they weren't just two colleagues who taught closely together and took vacations. According to at least one former student, they were romantically involved and had a long-term open relationship wherein they were known to pursue other teachers and students as well. And this comes from a book in 1957 by a former student named Lucille Iremonger who wrote a critique of their book, An Adventure, in her own work called Ghost of Versailles, Miss Moberly and Miss Jourdain and Their Adventure, a Critical Study. Wow. A word for a title there. But it, does, it, it gets across exactly what it is. Uh, so Ironmonger delved into the nature of their relationship, um, the two women, and basically concluded that their adventure was this folie, de, folie adieu. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and they had been so, you know, she suggests that they had been so distracted by their relationship and by their time that they were spending together. And again, I'm going to insert maybe some wine there that they merely misinterpreted ordinary people and objects to be things from that time period to 1789. And they became so obsessed with proving their story and kind of retelling their story that it grew and grew over time that they even convinced themselves of the reality of this ghostly encounter. But do we have any reports of them doing historical reenactments at the Palace of Versailles during this time period? No. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's, you know, this seems like a little bit odd to have done in the, in the early 1900s? Well, I don't know. Okay, so let's imagine the Colosseum, the Greek Colosseum. Okay. That entire thing was based, or at least it became in the end, historical reenactments of war. That's of fair. Battles. That's fair. Things like that. I mean, I think this is a celebrating the past, especially victories or uh, something sure. good or a, a previous king. No, that's true. I, I guess I'm just thinking of that as being more of a touristy thing mm. that you would do like at a, you know, like Stone Mountain or like you have like, you know, Civil War reenactments and stuff. That seems like a much more of a modern construct. But, you know, it was— That Coliseum is a good point. It though. is a very good yeah. point. I, I have a life hack for everyone listening. It is relatively unethical. And it is not particularly good. Uh-oh. Uh, there is no recognized statute on the amount of time that needs to elapse between reenactments. That's true. We all have sort of a, a rough spider sense about it, you know? If you don't feel like changing your clothes, just tell people the next day that you're doing a reenactment. <laughs> I think <laughs> you, I, days once, events. I think you can get away with it once. <laughs> I'm going to use that, but I've got to keep it in my back pocket for when I'm really funky. It's just between it's just between us, Super Producer Paul, and millions of people. Yeah. So don't tell anyone, folks. Everybody, use it once. And I would say be, be excruciatingly specific about the time period. Lecture people about little-known facts that about occurred, the time period. That occurred the day before, yeah. <laughs> so aside from... The excellent point that that the, there's no evidence of an historical reenactment occurring. Uh, we do know that there are factors that cast doubt on the truth of the couple's claims that come from the skeptic side. So first, England Society for Psychical Research found that the teachers originally did not think anything was wrong. Originally, they thought they just had a great afternoon touring Versailles and they got lost for a second. These were some kooky ladies. I'm just going to throw that right on out there. Mm-hmm. They didn't think anything was strange until as much as three months later when they compared notes and one of them, not both of them, said, hey, do you remember that thing? Yeah, I remember the smallpox face guy. Mm-hmm. That was weird. And the footman. And they republished the story multiple times. And each time they republished it, the story seemed to expand. And it caused a stir, didn't it? Mm-hmm. It absolutely did because, you know, Versailles already has this iconic image 
People want to see mystery. They know great historical events transpired. So this sounds like a likely candidate for something extraordinary to occur. The author of this study for the society, a guy named W.H. Salter, pointed out that the embellished versions of the tale published in later editions were also written much later than the uh, couple had originally claimed, maybe as long as five years afterwards, only after they had made several return trips to Versailles. And there's another thing here. Both of uh, the authors of the original tale were prone to hallucinations. Uh, One of them, Moberly, was prone to hallucinations, both audio and visual, uh, since childhood. And there's a person here writing, Terry Castle, that says, quote, as a child, she had heard the words, pinnacled reality, as she stared at the spires of Winchester Cathedral. She had seen two strange birds with dazzling white feathers and immense wings fly over the cathedral into the west. In Cambridge in 1913, she saw a procession of medieval monks. And at the Louvre in 1914, she saw a man six or seven feet high in a crown and toga-like dress, whom she at first took to be Charlemagne, but later decided it was an apparition of the Roman Emperor Constantine. So, perhaps... She actually has some form of the second sight. Maybe she truly is seeing historical figures throughout the past and the flat circle has opened up to her. What's that syndrome you have where you get overcome with great works of art? You're talking about not just a garden variety epiphany. Something that stays with you. Yeah, the Stendhal syndrome. It's like a a reverie that you experience that's very um, all-encompassing and borderline debilitating when you you are in the presence of great art. I just think it's really fascinating, Matt, that all of these times that she had these hallucinations, she was either at some sort of historic site Mm -hmm. or uh, an amazing art museum. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just wondering if there's a connection there because it it seems like, you know, and I can see what you're saying, too, about the second site. Surely, you know, at these, these... historic locations where, you know, many, many events have occurred and and, uh, historic figures have trod upon these hallowed grounds, you know, I could see that as being a potential thing too. But I'm wondering if her hallucinations weren't triggered by these breathtaking sights, you know? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And I'm, I'm tempted to agree. But what this does prove is that the teachers are not or were not, purposefully misleading folks. They weren't themselves being hucksters or or, or trying to, you know, sell a book. Yeah. They were selling a book though, right? They were, but they they weren't attempting to purposefully mislead people, which I think is, is a huge difference because it sounds as if they genuinely believed in the veracity of their story despite the fact that it was changing and expanding, right? And part of the reason why it seems contradictory at first to say, well, how could they both believe this thing was true and expand upon it? At the same time, the the fact of the matter is that memory is tricky, deceitful, treacherous, and will betray you. Every time you remember something, you're just remembering the last time you remembered it, which we've mentioned on this show before. That's why as humans age, earlier memories take on this strange feeling, right, with this uh, encapsulated tone. You might remember just a a snapshot from a time when you were four and you burned your hand or something. But that probably happened in a very different way. You've just been accreting these new interpretations of it. So at this point – There is no proof of ghostly activity in Versailles. However, the two teachers captured the public imagination. And this book sold like gangbusters, Mm -hmm. multiple issues, multiple languages. You can go to Versailles today and, if you wish, attempt to take the path that they took. You will likely not see Marie Antoinette, but if you do, please let us know. And if you do happen to snap a picture of any ghost, any apparition, some time slip, whatever it is, send it to us on Twitter. We are Conspiracy Stuff. And on Facebook, we are the same. You can find our Facebook group. Here's where it gets crazy. Post a picture there, maybe. If you just go on a trip, tell everybody in that community about it. I'm sure 
people will want to talk about this. Uh, we want to talk about it too. If you want to listen to other shows we've done, go to stufftheydontwantyoutoknow.com. You can even find our videos there. What? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Uh, and if you don't want to do any of that stuff and you want to still talk to us, send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.